I am not an expert. I've never published a book or taught a class, but I love quilting, and I love talking about quilting. I make a lot of mistakes, but I like to think that sometimes I learn from them and get just a little bit better. If hearing about someone else's goofs and mess-ups makes you feel better about yours, then I've done my job. Join me now as we talk about quilting for the rest of us. Hey, I'm Sandy and I'm a quilter and welcome to episode 109 in which we talk perfection. And I am recording this, at least some portion of it, on Sunday, November 11th. And um, I'm probably not going to actually finish it tonight. I think I'm just going to do the first part tonight and then I'll finish up the rest of it tomorrow and hope that I will remember what I have said. Um, it's not very late tonight, but I'm finding myself feeling a little bit weary, and so I don't want to lose energy halfway through. So I think I'm going to do myself the favor and do my listeners the favor of splitting this up a little bit. So in this episode, I'm going to announce a new format for this podcast, and then basically I'm going to follow that format for this podcast. I spent today um, really having a wonderfully restorative day home alone. And it's not that I don't love my family. I do love my family. My husband's out of town right now. I miss him dearly. But sometimes, especially when I've been very, very busy and around a lot of people, which I have been recently, um, I just need that kind of downtime to regroup. And so I really spent today regrouping. Um, spent the morning doing some reading um, of a variety of types, some recreational, but mostly I was reading some of my um, creativity books and also doing some spiritual reading, that kind of thing. And um, it helped me focus my thoughts on this podcast. I've been thinking for a while that my podcast was starting to feel very disorganized. <laughs> and and um, I, it, this wasn't just my feeling. It was. It has truly been disorganized, which is okay. You know, that's the wonderful thing about the podcast world is it's very organic, as I tell people. Um, but I, I tend to thrive better if I can, you know, whip things into shape a little bit better. So I had some ideas about ways I want to try to structure this podcast for a little while anyway. And, you know, it's a season. <laughs> we'll do this for a season. We'll see how it goes. And then, you know, let me know if you like what we're doing. Really, the only thing that's changing, I'm going to try to keep the same structure to every podcast, and it's the same basic structure I've been doing. Um, I will do Sandy updates. I will have, you know, whatever the content is, whatever the theme is of the episode, and then I will end with listener feedback. Um, however, I'm adding in a piece at the beginning of every episode. I'm going to start doing something that I call Creative Bites. B-Y-T-E-S. And this is going to be sound bites of creativity. Um, it's going to be, you know, three to five minutes of motivation, suggestions, activities for the week and so far. But this is really about what's in your head. It's not going to be creativity exercises so much that I've done in the past, you know, with doing a photo and a challenge and all that kind of stuff. This is going to be more addressing kind of the thinking behind creativity, the emotional responses, the feelings, etc. Um, this is, as you know, if you've been listening to my podcast for any length of time whatsoever, this is something I do feel strongly about. Um, I don't care what kind of quilter you are. I don't care if you only ever follow patterns. Um, that doesn't bother me at all. I still consider that a very creative endeavor. What bothers me is when I hear people say, oh, I'm just not creative. That will 
set my back up faster than anything because I really believe we're all creative beings. I think some of us are just more confident in it or maybe more in touch with it than others. And so what I'm hoping to do um, is is helping you become more confident, giving you some things to think about, that kind of thing. And know that this is all, I'm basically talking to myself because this is something I have had a lot of struggle with as well. And, you know, I haven't completely overcome it. I still have some very deep insecurities about my creativity. So everything that I'm talking about here with this podcast is definitely coming out of my own thought processes and things I've had to really work through as well. So I invite you to join me on that journey. So that's my format for the next season. Every episode is going to start out with a few moments of Creative Bites. Um, Then I will have whatever announcements I have. Then I will do Sandy Update. And then I will do whatever content there is. And I will end with listener feedback. So to that end today, let's get started. Creative Bites for today, for Sunday, November 11th, 2012, or for this week, whenever you happen to be listening to this podcast, which may, of course, be six months to a year from now as well, the the wonderful thing about Creative Bites, there's no expiration date on them. This week, to start us off, I want you to think back to when you were little, when you were first picking up sets of crayons, when you were first going into art class in elementary school and doing things with macaroni, because everybody seems to do things with elbow macaroni (laughs) in elementary school. I want you to think back to those days. Picture yourself. Remember your favorite outfit you used to wear. Who was your bestie back then? What did you like to have for lunch every day? Kind of get that image in your head. And now think about what messages about your creative abilities did you get back then? Were you encouraged or were you discouraged? Were you compared favorably or were you compared unfavorably to others? Were there people who tried to get you to stay in the box? Or were there people who encouraged you to figure out whether there was even a box to stay in? Those messages can really stick with us and come out in surprising ways. Even if, you know, I've, I've done a lot of work in this and I've thought through these things before and I know that I need to turn off the bad messages and only listen to the good messages. And yet still, every time I sit down to do something new, I have to work my way back through those voices again. They never entirely get away, uh, go away. So if you're a journaler, I want you to get out your journal sometime this week and name one person. I I only want you to name one person. If you've got a laundry list of people you want to put down, you can. But I only am encouraging you to name one person that you felt discouraged you in your creative endeavors in some way or another. It might have been blatant, or it might have been more subtle. But whose voice do you hear in your head whenever you think you can't do something? Write that person's name down in your journal. And then you might want to consider writing an imaginary letter to that person. I don't think you should mail it. That's not what I'm encouraging you to do. This is all your own mental work. We can't control what other people do. We can only control how we react to it. That's what I've always told my kids. This is you are taking control of your own reactions. Write that person's name down and then express to that person in your journal. Or if you're somebody who talks to yourself, I tend to, when I'm home alone, (laughs) talk to yourself. Imagine yourself having a conversation with that person. 
but I will say writing it down helps kind of make you believe it more than just spewing words into air. Talk about how much that discouragement or that attitude of that person's bothered you. Express that in this imaginary letter, letter, in your journal, in these conversations you're having with this person when you're standing alone in the bathroom shower, you know, that kind of thing. Express how much it bothered you that that person did not support your creativity. And say to that person, you know what, I really am a creative person. I am a creative person. I don't care what you think and I don't care what you say. I am a creative person. Feel free, because this is imaginary, because this is all in your head or in your written page, talk back. Talk back to that person. Name the things that you've done that are creative. It might be quilting. It might be drawing. It might be cooking. It might be how you've decorated your house. It might be gardening. It might have just been finding some new way to get your kid to clean his or her room. That's creativity. Creativity abounds in life, and we don't give ourselves enough credit for it. This is your chance to give yourself credit in your letter, your imaginary letter, or in your imaginary conversation to the person that you felt discouraged you back in the day. Spend some time talking back and saying to that person, no, you know what? I am creative and this is why. After you've done that, after you've taken a few minutes to do that, the next thing I want you to do is name three people who have been or are currently encouraging of your creative endeavors. Again, that's encouraging of your creative endeavors. In your journal, again, some write down some specific examples of way these of the ways these people have encouraged you. Maybe they've admired something that you've done or they've pointed out something that you've done that's been particularly creative. Or maybe they encourage you by giving you the time and space you need to work on creative endeavors. They respect that part of your life. Name three people that you feel are encouragers. Name those people in your journals and write a thank you note to them. This time, you can actually choose whether or not to let them know. It's always nice to get a thank you note from somebody unexpectedly. So you might want to do that or just say thank you to them if you see them. Um, if it's somebody in your past that you have no way to get in touch with, again, just write that thank you note in your journal. By thanking them, even just in your journal, even if that person never knows that you've kind of worked this way through in your head and really said thank you to them, you're putting to rest some ghosts and you're focusing on the positive relationships that help you grow and build confidence. Okay, so that's this week's Creative Bites. It's all about what voices are in your head. And you're going to start talking back to the negative voices and you're going to start thanking and believing the positive voices. Okay, that's your Creative Bites for the week. Announcements. I, <laughs> I just had the song go through my head that we used to always sing in camp when I was a kid. Announcements, announcements, announcements. Um, you, we are coming up on Black Friday sew-in. Last year I called it the anti-Black Friday sew-in and the hashtag was ABFSI. 
Um, this year I'm dropping the anti, I don't care. I mean, for me it's an anti-Black Friday so, so in, but I prefer to have hashtags as short as possible so that um, they don't take up too many character counts and sometimes one character matters. So this time it's just hashtag BFSI. If you are a blogger or a podcaster and want to um, join in the fun with a giveaway of your own on BFSI, start thinking about what you want to do now and be ready to do the linky when I have it live. I will be posting it so that it goes live at midnight Eastern time on Black Friday. If um, you, you know, aren't awake at 12.01 <laughs> Eastern time and aren't able to linky, that's okay. You can just linky first time, first thing the next morning. Um, anybody who's interested in trying to get into any of those giveaways, make sure that means you have to check my blog two or three times during the day on Black Friday to see whether any new linkies have appeared because of time zone differences and all that, they might be appearing periodically throughout the day. Um, we will also be on Twitter, of course, and um, I cannot really do Twitter and Facebook at the same time, unfortunately, because I'm hoping to get some sewing done that day too. <laughs> you know, I don't want to spend my whole day in front of the computer. Um, so the ongoing conversation will be primarily through Twitter. Um, but if you are only a Facebook person and want to keep conversation going on the Quilting for the Rest of Us Facebook page, you can start, you can post stuff on the wall too. And um, I will try to check it a couple of times during the day. I just can't keep it up as much. So be ready for Black Friday sewing. And I hope you will join me. I was already just talking to my daughter today. She's coming home on Friday from um, college for Thanksgiving week. She'll be home on break. And she was saying something about, well, I might want to do such and so on Friday. And I said, honey, I am at my sewing machine Friday. That's my sewing day. I'm not going anywhere doing anything. <laughs> so I'm already establishing those boundaries in my life. Sandy update. I have some. This is so exciting. I love being home and actually getting some sewing done. This is just really, I'm, I'm getting my quilty on and it feels good. Um, as you know, I talked about this in my last episode. I had my guild sew day yesterday. I was um, at the church where our guild meets from nine in the morning until I think I got home around quarter of five. I, I pretty much stopped sewing around four-ish, though I kind of got to a good stopping point and anything else I needed to do, I really need to do at home where I had my design wall and all that kind of thing. So I just sort of hung out and chatted at that point, <laughs> which was, you know, fun. I like doing that too. There were, I think, eight of us there or so. Our guild sew days are both Friday and Saturday. And sometimes, you know, it's probably about half of the folks are there both days. And then some folks just come on Friday and some come on Saturday. So there were a couple of folks who had been there Friday that weren't able to be there Saturday and several of us that were there Saturday that hadn't been there Friday. Uh, so I think there are about seven or eight of us. And it was nice because one of the people was a fairly new member of our guild that I haven't been able to get to know very well. And she and I ended up kind of sitting with our sewing machines right across the table from each other. So that was a good opportunity to get to know her better. I did um, none of my ongoing projects. I specifically just did two new projects, one of which I made a lot of progress on. The other one I didn't really do much at all on. I did what I'm referring to as my poppy's quilt, and it is named You're Getting Sleepy. And you can figure out what the reference is. Maybe post a comment if you can guess it. Uh, it's the five yard quilt pattern that I made for my niece a year ago for Christmas. And um, the main focus fabric is 
I think it's poppies. Anyway, it looks like poppies to me. I don't know. It's kind of an abstract flower, but they definitely look like poppies to me. And the poppies are this kind of really saturated red, and then it's on this sort of teal, kind of tealish background. And so I picked up on those colors um, in the rest of the fabrics, and I have a darker teal and a lighter teal and a red and then a gray are the, the rest of the fabrics. And so I got all of the blocks done, and they're all now hanging on my design wall. And um, depending on whether I do this entire episode tonight or what I do with it, um, I may get those sewn up tonight. I'd really like to have the top done by my guild meeting on Tuesday so I can bring it to show and tell, but I don't know. We'll see if I can manage that. The other thing I sort of started working on a little bit um, is I'm doing another stack and slash quilt for um, my niece, as I explained in the last episode. And I decided this time I'm actually going to use the stack the deck technique. I was taught stack and slash um, at a retreat several years ago now. It was the first quilt retreat I'd ever actually been on. It was not my guild retreat. It was one run by a local quilt shop. And the technique, one of the other women there was doing one, and she showed it to me. And basically all she did is she took a bunch of fat quarters. She would do one cut and then um, take some on one side of that cut. Then she would take one from the bottom and move it up to the top. So it would offset all of the fat quarters. And then she'd start sewing them back together. And then she'd do another cut and take one from the bottom, move it up to the top. Well, that's great. But what tends to start happening is after the th third or fourth, I don't know where it, mathematically, you know, Pam of hip to be a square could probably rattle off the formula right away. I don't know where this happens, but somewhere along the way, suddenly you start getting repeated fabrics in a block. So it's, it's not an ideal, there's some other formula you have to do in order to start shuffling them. Well, Stack the Deck is a book that was published a few years back, um, and I'm sorry, I don't have it in front of me to know who the author was, but it's just called Stack the Deck, and I think there might be a couple. I think I actually have the second one, Stack the Deck Revisited, and that one, she does it a little bit differently, but it's the same basic concept. So you either use fat quarters or layer cakes, or you cut blocks. She actually has you trim blocks to size, and then you actually figure out what your cutting diagram is going to be at the start, and you make all your cuts first. So you might have one set of blocks, um, you know, a stack of fabrics that you're cutting five times, and you cut them all at once, and then each pile gets shuffled a different number. I'm probably not explaining this well, but if you're interested, look up Stack the Deck. But that way, then, you're sewing all your blocks at once, and you also prevent one of the things that always drives me nuts when I do my Stack, the, um, stack and Slash technique is you end up with seams sort of crisscrossing each other because every time you're cutting, you're sort of cutting over a seam you've already sewn. So a lot of times you end up with these kind of, you know, bulges in the middle where they've got several seams coming together. This way, you don't have any of that because you've figured out you're making a crazy block, a crazy quilt block is what you're doing. So I decided this time, okay, let me try to do it the organized way <laughs> instead of this other fast way I've always done it and see how it works. And I think it'll go much more quickly. Now, all I've done so far, I had a set of fat quarters that turned out I had 16 of these things that were all from, um, they're from a Jason Yenter design that is now probably, I think I've had these, has to have been at least three years, maybe four years. Um, and they're butterflies and dragonflies and, you know, it's kind of a garden botanical thing. But they're in purples and greens and cranberries. Very, very pretty, gorgeous set of fat quarters. 
And so I went through at the Sode and picked out which ones I was going to use because the design I want to do from the book only requires 12 and I had 16. So I had to do some kind of picking and choosing and sorting and you have to figure out what's going to have the most contrast, what's going to work with the, this one actually has a little bit of a, uh, I don't even want to call it sashing. The, it, you sew a thin black strip in between each piece in the block so it ends up looking like a stained glass window is the ultimate effect. And so I had to figure out some of these um, fat quarters have big black stripes already going through the middle of them and a couple of them that'll work well it'll just make it look like there's more pieces other ones it would have been a distraction so I had to kind of choose that way too. So at the sew day all I did was kind of choose which fat quarters I was going to use. Um, and then today during VDSI, Veteran Day Sew-In, I then cut those into, I divided them into two stacks because I need two separate blocks and then cut them to size. So that's all the progress I've made on that. Um, but I still have to find the black fabric <laughs> I'm going to use as this sort of stashing. I don't have any that's solid enough. All the blacks I have are prints that would be too visually distracting. So I think I might go online later tonight and try to find something. So that's what I did it at Sew Day, which, you know, it was great to get all the blocks done for a quilt in about probably five hours total, because that was from start of cutting to sewing the last block. It was probably about five hours altogether. And had I had a design wall and another hour and a half, I probably could have gotten the whole thing pieced. It will not take me that long to get those blocks sewn together. Um, nine patch pizzazz progress. I am thrilled to announce I've got it all quilted. That was my VDSI thing today. I um, made the backing and then fused. I used a fusible batting, which I'll talk about in a minute, and to baste it all together and then I quilted it. And what I ended up doing with quilting was a very, very simple um, ribbon design, actually. If you recall, I talked about doing, I'm sorry, I'm taking a jacket off here while I'm talking if my voice is kind of moving back and forth. Um, my office is suddenly quite warm. Uh, if you would call, recall, I had talked about quilting letters, uh, words, into the quilt to pick up on the scripture verse. But as I got looking at it and trying to figure out thread colors and stuff, I became very worried that if I did that, you wouldn't actually be able to read the scripture verses on the fabric. And that's what I really wanted to feature. That was kind of the point of having that fabric anyway. So as I pondered it and kept looking at this thing that was at that point hanging on my design wall, I realized there were kind of these thin ribbons running through the print on the scripture block, on the scripture fabric. And a few days before that, I had been watching one of my Wendy Butler Burns craftsy class on machine quilting. And she had talked about... Um, I think she called it, it was a modified champagne glass or something design <laughs> that it's very gentle curves and you kind of just do it along the seams so that you can do it with your walking foot. And so as I looked at those ribbons, I thought, you know, I could do that along the seams and have kind of the twisting ribbon effect and just do it vertically. So it's very, very lightly quilted. I was able to do it all with my walking foot. Unfortunately, there's a couple of little bobbles here and there. I have problems getting my quilt to not catch on the side of my um, sewing cabinet. I I tend to let it drop into my lap too far and I'm trying to get more used to throwing it up and over my shoulder <laughs> when I'm quilting so it's got more free, um, it doesn't get stuck. 
but periodically it did kind of catch a little bit. Um, and so there's these little jobbles here and there in the quilting, but I don't know that you would really notice that unless you're tracing your finger along it. Um, you know, as they say on a galloping horse, <laughs> it doesn't really matter. And I happen to have a light blue thread um, in my thread collection that blends beautifully. You almost can't see it. Um, well, you can kind of see it. It's a little bit lighter than the darkest blue, and it's darker than the lightest light, but it still it just blends very nicely, so I was pleased to have that. So I got the whole thing quilted today, um, and then I've got to figure out what I'm going to do with binding, but I decided that took more brain power than I had tonight, <laughs> so I'm going to do that tomorrow. Um, so that will probably have the binding on it at least on the front. It probably won't have been hand-sewn on the back yet by the time I go to Guild on Tuesday. And the reason that's really exciting is not only because I will have something for show and tell on Tuesday, although I've got a couple other things too. Um, it's because it's a whole month early for the deadline. <laughs> and I almost never managed to pull that off. This is the Untouchables challenge that I'm running for our guild, the, you know, the fabric you didn't quite know what to do with. And it's the deadline's December, and I'm going to be showing mine in the November meeting, so I'm very proud of myself. That's very exciting. Uh, but as you know from my last episode, part of the impetus of me getting this done so quickly is I really want to get it in the mail to my friend. So um, I'm hoping that next weekend I can put this thing in the mail and she will have it before Thanksgiving, which I think would be really, really important. So um, I'm pleased with the amount of progress I made on that. Uh, I did want to just mention the batting I used on this thing. I have a stash of batting because periodically I'll just buy batting when it's on sale at Joann's. Um, we were talking at Soday, um, a couple of my other guild friends there buy, you know, batting by the yardage and they have the big um, rolls of it. And I was joking, I can't do that because I have a golden retriever. And every time I think about having a roll of batting in my house, I just picture it covered with Sammy hair. And one of the women said, well, I've got a dog. That's why I put mine up on a shelf. And I'm thinking her dog is like, a, I think she told me it was a mix between a chihuahua and a miniature pincher or something. It's some little dog with almost no hair. <laughs> and I, was, I just laughed and I said, I'm sorry, Sam's hair is free floating in our house. <laughs> there is nowhere in our house that is safe. I mean, I'd have to have this thing wrapped in tarp or something to keep it safe, as it is when I press fabrics on my ironing board. You know, I... I even joked tonight on Twitter that I sewed some golden retriever ha uh, hair into my backing for this thing because, you know, I had pressed the whole fabric. I go to put it on my sewing machine and I'm sewing along the seam and then all of a sudden, boom, there's this clump of golden retriever hair going across and I just vacuumed in here two days ago. So that's just, you know, life with a golden, which I know some of you from the pictures on your profiles understand very well. Um, fortunately, the friend of mine who will be receiving this is a dog person, so she will appreciate that she's got a little bit of my Sammy with her now. Um, anyway, back to the batting I used on this. I found um, in my bin, my batting bin, that I had an unopened package of Fusiboo, F-U-S-I hyphen B-O-O. And what this is, if you've not heard of it, um, it's done by Fairfield. I've got the package in my hand here. That's what you're hearing flipping around. It is a blended fusible batting. It is a blend of rayon fiber made from bamboo and natural cotton. And um, it has fusible adhesive on it. So you 
um, spread it out between your two layers and then you use a steam iron on the wool setting and you just hold it down for three to four seconds, give it a shot of steam, move it over, hold it down three to four seconds, shot of steam. Um, it's worked really, really well. Now, I will say because of all that fusible, um, it feels a little bit stiffer while I'm actually sewing with it, but I think I've used bamboo uh, batting before and I know it's got great drapeability. So I think once I wash this thing, it's gonna become much softer and you know will hang very nicely or she'll be able to wrap up you know her legs under it when she's watching TV very comfortably. So I do recommend this fusible. It did work very well. It adhered beautifully. Um, didn't have any problem with it slipping. And also, I was a little careful. I mean, I was very careful as, along the edges with my iron, so I didn't hit the fusible, but there were a couple places I know I went a little bit over the fabric with my iron, and I didn't have all sorts of gunk on the side of the iron, so it worked really well. Um, a couple of very quick updates. I am very pleased that Sandy of Quilt Cabana and I are doing a postcard swap. This is not, we're just swapping them with each other. We're not opening this up because neither of us has time to organize an entire swap. Um, but Sandy was commenting um, on her last episode that she had seen an article in, I believe it was American Patchwork and Quilting. I don't remember now which magazine it was, but it was one I had read too. I was like, oh yeah, I remember seeing that article. And she said, I've always wanted to do a postcard. I was like, I've always wanted to do a postcard too. So I tweeted her, emailed her or something and said, hey, why don't we send each other postcards so we can play? And she's like, oh, sure, that would be great. So she and I are going to send each other postcards. Um, so we'll keep you posted on what our postcards look like. <laughs> I know hers is going to be dang cute. I just know it. Um, I have no idea what mine's going to be yet, but I have been kind of thinking about it, but I need to dig through my magazines and find that article. I have seen a lot of things online about how to do it, but there was something about that particular technique in that magazine that I remember thinking, oh, this looks more workable than other ones I've seen, and I don't remember now what it was. So anyway, um, that's a little treat that I'm looking forward to. I'm also very excited. I think I mentioned this a while back. Jean uh, of the Quilted Cupcake um, podcast has an Etsy shop, and I know I talked about the fact that I own her jewelry role for travel and love it. I think I did mention that I had um, contacted her at one point and said, hey, you know that jewelry role that I love? How about making an, an accessories role for those of us who travel with iPod and cell phone accessories, the chargers, all that kind of nonsense. And she was game. And so I sent her pictures of, you know, the variety of accessories I tend to carry with me. Well, she contacted me this weekend and she's almost got the prototype done. I'm very excited. I will probably get to see that sometime this week. And um, once I test it out and get to let her know, yeah, this works, or gee, could you adjust this a little bit or whatever, then it'll probably be ready to rock and roll within a, a couple of weeks after that. Um, I don't know. I don't know what her time frame is, but if you are somebody who travels like I am, and if you've got accessories at the wazoo like I do, <laughs> this is something you will definitely want to keep an eye out for. I am, like I said, I'm very excited to get the prototype. And um, once it is officially available, I'll certainly help promote it as well. So keep an eye out for that. I don't know if I mentioned I did buy her eyeglass case. <laughs> like I said, I hate making that stuff. I hate it. I don't care how many tutorials you send me about how to do it. I hate doing it. I just... I. I love quilting. I hate making other stuff. I'm not a garment sewer. I've made a tote bag. I will probably make that same tote bag pattern again because it was stinking easy. But the little fiddly bits, I don't like that. 
So I was more than happy to pay her for her skills and patience and perseverance and have a great eyeglass case from her now that um, I keep in my purse. I love that too. Like I mentioned, I did the VDSI today in the Google Hangout with Katie of Katie's Quilting Corner and Pam of Fit to Be a Square. I was only able to be in the Google Hangout for about 10 minutes, and I feel badly because it seemed like it would be a lot of fun. The problem I have is, once again, my motion sickness kicked in. It's something about the way the Google Hangout webcam feature works. What it does, and I don't know if there's a way to override this, and I'll have to look at mine, you know, because I just, I, I got so car sick, I had to just not look at the screen and eventually had to turn it off because I just, even glancing over there once in a while, I just, I was getting nauseous. So it, what it does is it changes webcam based on where it's picking up noise from. It's supposed to be, you know, whoever's talking, that would be the the video you're seeing. Um, but the problem is it picks up anything as noise. So if somebody rustles a paper or if somebody's dog barks or if somebody clears their throat, it flips the webcam to them. Um, and my eyes just couldn't handle, you know, that was triggering that constant kind of flipping back and forth of who was showing up was, was triggering my motion sickness. Um, there must be a way to override that. I know uh, somebody that was in the Google Hangout at the time said if you tapped on somebody's thumbnail of them, you would see them, which I did once or twice, but then the next time somebody made noise, it would go back off again. So I don't know, like I said, in my settings, there's gotta be a way to override that. Um, or I have to figure out a way to, like just to shut down the video altogether so I'm only hearing the audio. Um, I don't know, unfortunately, like I said, I was disappointed for me because it looked like people were having fun and I'm thinking, dang, I'm stinking sick again. <laughs> I just got to get tired of this. I hate having to take Dramamine to go to movies because um, the handheld camera thing, you've heard me go off on that before. And now I feel like, no, oh, there's something else I can't play along with because I get sick. So anyway, I was disappointed in that, but I really do appreciate that Katie and Pam were, were willing to try to do that and see what was going to work. And it sounds like they learned some things from doing it this time and they plan on doing it again. So do keep an eye out for that. And, um, Hopefully I'll figure out a fix to the motion sickness thing, but it, it was good to see everybody's face, although briefly, and it was certainly fun to hear, you know, the people talking. Um, like I said, I've just got to figure out how to shut down the video altogether next time. All right, I want to do listener um, input. I had asked in both Big Tent and Facebook a while back about perfectionism. So I want to share the results of those conversations. All right, let me start by reading the question that I asked first, and then I will share with you the responses. I asked, A recent email from a listener has me thinking a lot about perfectionism and how it may or may not have impact upon our quilting. I decided to put the question to y'all. Some of us may love to work very hard to get every seam exactly right and all the corners and points to match. Some of us may find that a block may find that a block and get frustrated and give up when it doesn't work well. For me, honestly, the way I deal with my own bent towards perfectionism is to do a style of quilting that doesn't require complete accuracy, but rather focuses on other dynamics, art quilting. I also remember a watershed moment while I was still doing only traditional quilting and was consistently frustrated with corners and seams and beating myself up about it, when I began to look more closely at quilts and magazines and realized that even many cover quilts weren't perfect. 
So once again, I'm tapping on my listeners' shoulders to get input for a future episode. Do you consider yourself a perfectionist? If so, do you feel that that adds to your experience of quilting or detracts from it? If you feel it detracts, how do you deal with that? What strategies do you use? And, by the way, there aren't any right answers. I'm not saying that striving for protection for perfection in quilts is wrong. There are a lot of gorgeous quilts out there that most likely had seams ripped out over and over until those corners matched exactly, and I love benefiting from that attention to detail as I look at those quilts. And, by the way, there can be perfectionist bents in modern quilting just as much in traditional quilting. Quilters still have an ideal in their head that they're trying to reach, and perfectionism can be as much at play in any form. There are simply some folks for whom the idea of perfection becomes a block to moving forward in any way. Their perfectionism sucks the joy out of the process altogether. So I'd be interested in hearing both sides of that story. Okay, and then I gave a deadline. Um, first response was from Flower Skunk, is how I'm going to pronounce this. It's actually F10, Worskunk. My goal is to finish, so perfection takes a back seat. I would rather have the lovely item to use and enjoy than to work on it endlessly getting it perfect. And Trumpkel says, I have always started out learning about a technique by diving into it headlong and then working on making it look better. From that perspective, I'm constantly striving to improve and rarely end up with something close to perfection. However, over time, my seamed joins have gotten pointier and more perfect the more I practice how to accomplish that part of the process. It entirely depends on the goal of the quilt as to how perfect I will be on it. For a play quilt to hand to my boys, I'm less worried about perfect corners and having no lost points on triangles. However, I want it sturdily constructed so that I should not need to repair it any time in the near future, at least. I did make a bed quilt for my son that was finished last year. That quilt started out as a simple design in some bright fabrics that I got on super sale at a local fabric store that was going out of business. I took it to a retreat one year and spent the two and a half days debating what to make for a design, cutting yards and yards of fabric, and then just sewing blocks in assembly style. Once I had finished a handful of the two block types and put them on a design wall, that is when the magic really appeared, and I realized this could be a great quilt. Nana, my mom, generously long-armed it on her machine. While it took a while, she is more of a perfection sewer than I am and had decided to custom quilt it instead of doing an overall design. It came out gorgeous. It now belongs to a teenager, but he is the type to love handmade items and take care of them for the most part, so it should last a long while. Most of the time, I play with color and block design instead for lap quilts and wall quilts to look at. For wall quilts, I care the most. I will be looking at them constantly. For lap quilts that will get used regularly, it will be rarely that the entire quilt will be even viewed at once, so perfection takes a back seat to sturdy construction and color play. Thank you, Trumkel. I, I actually, I think both of you, Flower Skunk and Trumkel, were very similar in that it really kind of depends on what you're doing. And in some cases, you, you really are doing it to get it done and for it to be able to be used. Um, and in, in, as Trumkel pointed out, as sturdy as possible because it will get really used. But um, then if it's something that's going to be on the wall and you're seeing a lot, you're going to be a little more careful with it. So Excited Quilt said, direct answer to your question not well, though I am better in all areas of my life as a result of getting older and not having life always work out as planned. In terms of quilting, I try to take to heart these two phrases I've heard, if you can't see it on a galloping horse from 20 feet away, and done is good. I don't rip out seams if they are off a little, and most of the time I let my free mission quilting go. 
The hardest part I still struggle is starting it all. I know once I cut into fabric, I'm committed. I do let go if I cut and it doesn't work out as planned, but it is a struggle. And so excited quilts have that same problem. You know, you've got that fabric that you just love and you're, you are really having to work yourself mentally over, I'm going to ruin it. I know I'm going to ruin it. Okay, Joy by Robin One says, I try to make whatever I am making the best that I can do. I rip things out if they aren't correct, if it is important to me, even a modern or art quilt that I am creating. I have a vision for it. Some quilts need perfectionism. When a quilt is for a gift, I consider who is the recipient, and then I can fuss or not fuss with the perfect this, that, or the other. If I don't like a quilt, usually a new technique learned, after I have started, or are near completion, I generally give it away to someone recycling. Such a lovely word. Since I have been quilting for five years, I know better than to start one that won't thrill me, and I get rid of it before I even start. Prefer to spend time on the ones that are more my style than to force myself to complete ones that aren't. Right now, I am fixated and frozen on a binding for a quilt. Perfection. Since I'm going to submit it to a competition, I have never done that before. Small steps each day as the deadline approaches. Perfection is something that has mellowed with me as I age. I strive for it and try for the best of me. Thank you, Joy. Robin, I like that last phrase, trying for the best of me. Jbard5 said, In my younger years, I would just quit if I couldn't at once accomplish the high standard for myself. Realizing that I was missing out on many wonderful things in life, I started viewing every new endeavor as a learning process, and I began seeing and appreciating improving skills. I make sure to understand the directions for a project. I do not compromise on accurate cutting and seam allowances, for to neglect those things sets the stage for frustration and unfortunate results. I like to think my perfectionist tendencies are now an asset rather than a stumbling block to my quilting pleasure. And Jay Bart, I think that's what I had to work my way around too. I tended to not start things because I had such a high standard <laughs> that I knew I could never achieve. And now I've learned to say, you know what, I'm learning as I go. Um, Jay said, I think that good technique is important. For me, technique cannot get in the way of the message or design of the quilt. If viewers are looking at one of my quilts and wondering why there is a hole in the piecing or why my quilting stitches are toe catchers, then there is a problem. That being said, perfection isn't going to happen in any of my quilts. My quilts are full of compromises. My rule is that if the problem doesn't jump out at me or bug me once the quilt is finished, I don't rip it out. If I think it will bug me, I rip. Once I make the decision, I don't apologize or make excuses. People feel the need to question me about why I bothered to rip, and I just don't answer. It isn't a secret, but if they don't know, I can't explain it. These two guidelines have given me the skills to deal with my problems and have made me a better quilt maker. In the end, it is up to me in the process. Can I live with it, and will I learn something? Is it part of the process that will make me a better quilt maker later? And as you know, Jay is the one that's doing the design series with me, and I think we've kind of come up to those kinds of things before, those kinds of decisions. Is it going to bother you or not? Um, but I think that's a good thing is how often is that going to bother you? And and I remember somebody else saying, you know, you just leave it on the wall and a few weeks later you may not even see it, you know, see the error anymore. So anyway, GFC Sailor says, perfectionism is, perfectionism is not one of my character defects, although I do like to do the best job I can. I take a good look at it, whatever it is. Sometimes it turns into a design opportunity, and other times it turns into a frogging opportunity. Rip it, rip it. That's what that frogging is. 
I don't agonize over little mistakes. Life is just too short and too busy. Jane Tam, Janet, sorry, probably Janet Am. <laughs> I'm sorry, when I only see a screen name, I never quite know how to pronounce it. In quilting, I like my seams to match up and blocks to be consistent in size. If piecing or seams don't end up like they should, I take the piece apart and redo the piece until I'm content with it. I'm not a perfectionist at all. I just like to feel good about the article that I'm making. If I feel good about the piecing, seams coming together in the final block, then I'm okay with what I'm doing. Jill953 says, I've accepted the idea that most of my work will not be perfect. That is okay because when I worry about perfect, I freeze. Several years ago, I had a quilt to finish, but I just couldn't do anything on it because I was afraid I would mess up the beautiful quilt with blocks made by many in my family. It was a surprise for an older sister who was going through chemo, and her granddaughter started bugging me about when it would be finished. I woke up one morning and knew that I needed to get over myself and get it quilted. No, it wasn't perfect, but it was finished. My sister enjoyed it for several years before she passed away, and all of those who worked on it loved knowing that we had made it for her. Win-win. Thank you, Jill. That's a wonderful story of saying, you know what, perfection just doesn't matter in that case. She loved it regardless. Jean Ray, finding a balance between gotta be right on and want to get done is a part of the dance I have with all of my quilting activities. When I have a clear idea of the outcome I want, i.e. I'm reproducing a pattern or a previous project, I tend to want it to be just so, and find my eye focusing on whatever small imperfection might be present. However, when I'm doing something new, something original, something artsy or experimental, I guess I don't know what perfect is, so there is no yin-yang around the question of perfection. And sometimes I need to consciously embrace good enough, just because it is, as several of you have already said. Good discussion. And yes, Jean, it certainly is a good discussion. I like, I like the idea of part of the dance I have with all my quilting activities. That was a great way to express that. All right, let's look at what people said on Facebook. Okay, strangely, I could swear that I also posted it on Facebook, but I cannot find the the stream of conversation. I hate the way Facebook pages are set up now, really do. It's impossible to find anything. So I will keep looking for that. And if I if you remember that, yes, you did answer that question on Facebook, <laughs> then let me know. And I'm going to keep looking for it. But maybe I'm imagining that I had also posted it on Facebook. I tend to post it both places. Um, all right. So thank you, everybody, for your conversations about perfectionism. Um, you know, that's something that might come up in Creative Bites again at some point in the future. It, it's an issue that I struggle with, so it's one that I do spend a lot of time thinking about. But I appreciate very much everybody who did give input, even if I can't find it now. <laughs> I will keep looking. I do also want to say thank you so much to everybody who has left comments this week. I've gotten quite a few. Um, I want to say thank you to Cindy and Chris and AJ Dub and Sharon, Jennifer, Landscape Lady, Margaret, Be a Quilter, Katie from Katie's Quilting. I believe that's Katie R. Um, although actually you're both Katie R's. Kati, I'm sorry, that's right. This is the one that we have now learned is pronounced Kati, not Katie. So I will try to remember that from now on. I'm sorry. Kati, Jackie, Landscape Lady, Jennifer, and um, the other Katie of Katie's Quilting Corner. Um, 
Thank you so much for all of your comments. Don't forget, some of us are doing the Bonnie Hunter Easy Street Mystery Quilt, and um, Katie and Pam and I are all kind of co-hosting a Flickr group on that so that you can keep track of our progress. Even if you're not doing the Mystery Quilt, go ahead and join the Flickr group because you might enjoy seeing how all of us are developing. We're all using different colors. Some of us have already posted our fabric choices up there. Um, and we'll be posting pictures of our progress each week. And I'll tell you, I am thrilled that we're doing that. Thank you so much to Katie and Pam for kind of um, getting all of that going with me because I think it'll keep me doing it. You know, I've, I have a tendency to start out strong and do the first couple and then I kind of, you know, well, I've never done a mystery quilt before, but these things where it's kind of, you know, like the quilt university classes and stuff, I'll do the first couple of weeks and then I bag out before the end of it. So I think having the Flickr group and knowing other people are doing it is really going to keep me motivated to keep going. So I do appreciate that. Um, oh, and I did also start a th um, group for it on thread bias as well. So if you're doing it or again, if you just want to kind of observe and cheer us on and you're on thread bias, go find the Bonnie Hunter Mystery Quilt um, group there. I think that's it for this episode. I did manage to pull it all off tonight. That really surprises me. <laughs> So um, I always appreciate you listening. I really, really do. It's always so much more entertaining to be able to talk back to people who are talking to me than it is for me to just, you know, kind of keep babbling on to myself. Um, thank you for all of you who have left, left listener reviews on iTunes, whatever country you're from. I appreciate that as well. And so that is it. For this episode, you know where you can get in touch with me. You can email me at sandyquilts, sandy with a Y, quilts with a Z at gmail.com. You can follow my blog, Twitter, Pinterest, Goodreads, the Facebook Quilting for the Rest of Us group. You can join the Flickr group, the Quilting for the Rest of Us group on Flickr. You can join the Big Tent Quiltcast Super Group and then the Quilting for the Rest of Us subgroup there. You can find me on Thread Bias. You could find me on Craftsy if there was any way to search for users on Craftsy. And <laughs> you can find me on Google Plus and a variety of other sites. And you can join the Quilting for the Rest of Us Kiva team. And you will find links for all of that at www.quiltingfortherestofus.com. And now, just for a little bit of an endorsement, this show is now on Stitcher. Listen to Quilting for the Rest of Us on your iPhone, Android phone, Kindle Fire, and other devices with Stitcher. Stitcher Smart Radio, the smarter way to listen to radio. And now, thank you so much for listening, and until the next time, go get your quilty on. Quilting for the Rest of Us is dedicated to Shirley. Love you, Mom.